you, Nick. Yeah, seriously, if you have any questions about that, you need to come up and talk to him and just get him talking to for a few minutes. Just listen to him. And uh, he's doing a great job with that. I wish I'd have had somebody in my life like that whenever I was younger and in high school and in athletics. That would have been <laughs> a lot different experience than what I had. Hey, listen, if you brought your Bible with you, turn to John 13. This is going to be a great passage. It's a fun passage. It's going to help you see Jesus much more clearly. It's going to help you see the gospel much more clearly. So John 13, while you're turning there, when I was in college, I picked up a second job working as a bartender and a food server at El Chico. Anyone been to El Chico before? We've got one in the area, I think. It's like the Applebee's of Mexican food, basically, or Tex-Mex, right? And uh, I hated every minute of that job, every last minute of that job. I actually was talked into taking it by a gang of extroverted friends that swore that there was good money in it, and they were all liars. There was no good money in it for me. I hated it. I, had, I, had, I take that back. I had one day, one day that was a fun day in my employment at El Chico, and that's because before the shift started, the manager told us that there would be a contest that day to see who could sell the most desserts, and all I heard was competition, winner, loser, prize. That's all I heard. So I started right when the shift did, and I sold more desserts in that shift than had ever been sold, according to the manager, in the history of that restaurant. <laughs> and the only prize I got was a Duran Duran CD that wasn't even shrink-wrapped anymore, right? It was just some garbage prize. I didn't even care. I threw it away. I just wanted to win. But besides that, I could not quit that job fast enough. The reason being is, is it turns out I'm just like you, and I'm just like humanity, and I'm only really interested in serving people if there's something big in it for me, right? I mean, like a tip. Unless there's something big in it for me, serving others in such a way that decreases me, but elevates them, or takes away from me, but benefits them. Serving people on that, that, that is not something I'm naturally interested in doing, if I could just be frank and honest. Naturally, I'm not interested in doing that. For that, I need the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna need the Holy Spirit to take something like serving someone at their benefit at my cost and make that happen, because I don't think that's such a natural occurrence. I think it's a supernatural occurrence. So if you're in the room like me and you would make a horrible food server, uh, you know, just consider the fact that you kind of need the Holy Spirit to do something beautiful for somebody else without the expectation that they're going to do something in return. You know, we're going to look at this passage today. I think it's going to be a really good, like I said, helpful passage in helping us see what good service looks like. And I'll tell you in a minute why we're talking about this. But in John 13, I'm going to start in verse 3, not in verse 1, and I'm just going to read for a little bit. This is the word of the Lord for us, and it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet also, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. 
When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am so. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, not, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Okay, I'd like to take a little bit of a look today at the missionary as a servant, as a server, as one who demonstrates God's love for everyone to see. Um, if you've been here the last few weeks, or even off and on, we've taken a look at what it means to be a missionary. Right? And we've learned over the, the last few sermons that a, a missionary is not necessarily someone who does as much as just someone who is. Missions is some, some part of who we are, more than an action that we contribute to the world around us. And so last week we kind of looked at maybe even the crisis in the, behind the modern American church anyway, and that's that we've taken something beautiful like mission and we've demoted it to a department or a thing or a logo or an action that we do. Last week we looked at evangelism. We looked at how we carry the gospel message as gospel couriers in wartime as we publish good tidings that are provocative in nature to people that desperately need to hear it. We talked about how verbally we project the gospel upon others. We looked at how it was the message that does the work. It's even the one who created the message that does the work, but the message carrier doesn't do the work. We just deliver the mail. So when I evangelize somebody, I don't save them. The message and the messenger save them. I don't justify them. I don't clean them. I don't adopt them into a new family. I don't do any of that. I just carry a message. And sometimes, and sometimes, I get to see it happen right in front of me. Most of the time, I'm just sowing and watering, just like you. So today, we look at not just how we verbally project the gospel, but how we do so non-verbally, and how we serve, and how we demonstrate. Basically, how well do we wear a towel around us? As we look at this passage where our king is wearing a towel. I've always been fascinated with body language and vocal tone and how it communicates more than just the words themselves. We've all seen the studies. Most of what you communicate is with your body language. There have actually been deep science built into how much is nonverbal and how much is verbal. It turns out that almost half of our communication is with our posture. Are your shoulders rolled forward? Are your eyes looking down, right? What is, what is your, your chin doing? What does what your posture look like? But then there's almost, almost another half that is your tone, your verbal tone. Is it inflective? Is it finding peaks and valleys? Is it confident? Only 7% According to some scientists, 7% of your communication is actually verbal, actually the word and sentence itself. Similarly, we as a church, as we project a verbal gospel to the city, the church has, church has body language. The church has posture and tone, and much of what we communicate is really going to be not by the words we say, but by a lot of the things that we do. And I think... John 13 is a very unique moment for us because we see Jesus non-verbally preaching the gospel in a very deep way, a symbolism that's actually pointing in two different directions at the same time. Jesus is pointing backwards to show who God is as God invades, comes, and rescues, and he's also pointing forward to show mankind how we are supposed to look, how we ought to look, how we will find the most joy looking whenever we serve ourselves. 
whenever we serve our neighbors, our family, the city. So I'm just going to kind of walk through this because Jesus was not just making a dramatic statement. He's not just being dramatic for the sake of drama, just so that if I do something dramatic, maybe everybody will listen to me twice as hard. That's not exactly what he's doing right here, although there is drama in it. He's revealing God for you and for me today in 2018. I mean, consider just how he's pointing backwards for a moment. Notice he's disrobing and he's pulling his robe aside, and yet he's pointing to a God who shed much more glory than that who actually shed some of the shared fellowship and the glory he had when he was with the Trinity, shed that glory and put it aside. We see the cleaning of feet. That was a real moment. Real feet was cleaned with real water and real dirt and mud and who knows what else came off of that feet. That really happened. But this is also symbolic of something more than just feet being cleaned, which is why you see that that little interchange between Peter and Jesus in the middle of all of this, right? It's washing hearts. And he's not just washing hearts, but he's washing hearts with something a little bit more powerful than water, but the washing of the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. So we see deep symbolism pointing to what God has done, but we also see him pointing forward. He's showing you and me how we move forward as we serve the world, each other, our families, our spouses, everybody, how we serve. And when I say the word serve, don't hear poor people, because that's typically where we go instantly, especially in the holiday season. Luke must be talking about poor people. I'm not. I mean, definitely that fits under the umbrella of service, but consider spouse. Consider your kids. Consider your parents. Consider your neighbor. It could be anything. It could be anything from jump-starting a car to helping someone carry a couch to lending your pickup to leading a calm group to co-leading a calm group to hosting a calm group to contributing food to a calm group. It could be just walking alongside a long-suffering friend who just fouled out for the 383rd time. It could be a lot of things, welcoming, tutoring, going, doing. It could be a lot. That's what I want you to be thinking. Now, Jesus shows us that he does this by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that Jesus moved and walked and was by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how you and I are sent into the world, to do the same things by the power of the same Holy Spirit. And I know if you're thinking like I was thinking as I read a passage like this, I think, but do you really need the power of the Holy Spirit to serve someone? Come on. Do you really need to beg and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit before you serve someone? I would say the best service in the world is powered by the Holy Spirit. Sure, you can serve somebody, but then you've got to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? The punchline, I'll give it to you early, is that our service, it begins and ends with Jesus. It begins and ends with Jesus. Romans 11.36, we'll put it up on the screen. This is one of my favorite passages. If you're into memorizing scripture, great one to memorize. If you're not into memorizing scripture, this is a great one to memorize, okay? It's quick, it's one-liner, and it's got some rhythm to it. You should remember it. For it is from him and through him and to him are all things. It's a doxology. It's in the back half of Romans. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. This is how our service is to be built on the foundation of this, that everything starts and ends with Jesus. We serve, we serve from the fact that we were served. We serve through the power of God to serve others. We serve to the glory of God. Our service fits in Romans 11:36. And I think I'm preaching to the choir to the, for, for the most part. 
I mean, we all know, if you, listen, if you're a Christian in this room, I, I don't expect that everybody is, but if you are, you, you know that service is just a part of who you are. <laughs> service is a key of what it means to be a Christian. But do you ever stop and ask yourself why? And does it even matter why? Does it matter why you serve somebody? I mean, some of us in this room, we're fantastic servants. You are fantastic at serving. You're here before I get here on Sundays. You'll probably be here after I leave. You sign up for lists. You sign up to volunteer. You serve when no one notices. When it's not appreciated, it doesn't really ding you very much. Serving actually feels kind of normal to you. You would have been great at El Chico, by the way. You would have crushed it. I would have beat you in desserts. I would have sold more desserts than you did, but you would have made a lot more money than I did because you love to serve. It's just a part of who you are. But even for you who are advanced at serving people, why? Why do you do it? It matters. The end does not justify the means. Why you serve matters. You know, at El Chico, I would put on a grin, and I'd be semi-witty. I could do that for a little while anyway. And I could refill your tea quickly. I'd, I had the half glass rule. Some of you appreciate that. I never let the glass get more than halfway finished and I was there with tea, right? I could do that. But I only did that for one reason, not because I wanted to show you the love of Jesus. I did that so that I could get a big tip. I wanted money. And as soon as I got that tip, I quit coming with tea. You were on your own. You figure that out on your own, right? My motivation ran dry. I was there for one reason. And before you judge me too harshly on all of this, I think you can be the same way very easily. Serving others can subtly be a way in which you serve yourself. Serving others can subtly be a way in which we serve ourselves. If someone's poor station is improved, it's easy for us to say, that's all that matters. It doesn't really matter why I did what I did to help that person. All that matters is that they're in a much better place. Why doesn't really matter. So with this uncomfortable scene in our heads of the foot washing, and it is uncomfortable, is it not? It's not a cozy scene when you read John 13. Some of you, if you've grown up in a church or a certain kind of church, you have probably seen or witnessed a foot washing, right? R raise your hand if you've seen a foot washing. All right, half the room maybe, maybe a little bit more. If you haven't, you have, listen, all it is is a leader, oftentimes a pastor, will bring people up on stage and then pull out a basin and wash their feet. It's kind of a visual sacramental type of a moment, right? I've been in one, I've watched a couple. It is the most awkward, <laughs> uncomfortable moment. I mean, no one in the crowd is going, ooh, call on me, call on me, this would be awesome. I want someone to take my shoes off and wash my feet in front of a church right now, it'd be fantastic. Someone pull, pull me out, I wanna do it, I wanna do it. Nobody does that. It's uncomfortable. Why? Because you're vulnerable and someone's doing something that it, it, they're in your space and they're doing something you don't want them to do. It feels too menial to have somebody do something like that. This is an uncomfortable scene. So as we put that on our dashboard and drive forward, I want to look at just a few motivations behind why we serve that I think could be important for us, at least important for me. I struggle with all of them. I struggle with the last two more than the first. But I think one of the ways that we serve sometimes when our motivation is broken is we serve in order to grab God's attention. We serve in order to get his attention, right? Maybe you have a subtle desire that God notices what you're doing for your neighbor or your family and you hope he reciprocates. Lord, I will scratch their back if somehow you will scratch my back, my back. 
So it becomes a little bit of an application, our service, an application for more favor or for approval. We do, so he might do, right? And oftentimes, I see this coming up in Christians especially. I'll see it come up in the way of someone feeling buried underneath like a pervasive sin or a struggle or an addiction, or maybe they just really had a blowout of some sort. And so their knee-jerk reaction is to start serving and doing, serving and doing in hopes that God looks down and cleans their slate. I'm doing, so maybe you notice and you do. And this is, this is traditionally bad in our little nick of the woods out here. Knoxville's in a unique region, right? We're not just another city in another state. We're on the northern berm of what would be called the Deep South. We're barely Deep South up here. I mean, you go drive an hour and a half north, you're not in the Deep South at all. That's how you know that you are on the very northern edge of the Deep South. But we're also kind of in the southern part of what we'd call Appalachia. We're Appalachian Deep South. It's a very different demographic than South Georgia or Austin, Texas or Miami. It's a very unique culture we have. And one of the things I've noticed is in the Appalachian Deep South, we still have a little block of time. And I'm not sure it'll even be here in 15 or 20 years. But we have a small amount of time where this thing right here Sunday morning still considered a sanctified safe place. Where if you want to be cleaned, this is the place you go. You go to Tacoma, that's not the case. You go to Miami, that's not the case. You go to Tampa, it's not the case. But in Knoxville, it still seems to be the place you go if you want your heart to be clean, if you want all of your mistakes taken away, right? It's also the place you go when you want to sign up for things. Volunteer, feed, give, do something, right? And this is usually the washing machine I see, and you've seen it too, someone who does not typically go to this sanctified space they sin in such a way that they just can't stand it anymore. So they show up to a service. They show up to a place like this, this sanctified place among you and among me, and they sit through a service and they rededicate their life. And then as soon as this thing is over, they're going to look for areas to volunteer. And then they leave with a somewhat cleaner-feeling slate. And it only works until they start putting black marks on that clean slate. And then they feel like they can't show up to a place like this, a sanctified clean space, where a bunch of clean people show up and listen to a clean person talk about doing clean things, and so they just don't come anymore. And you see this cycle. Attendance, non-attendance. Attendance, non-attendance. Attendance, non-attendance. And one of the big cogs in that machine is what we do, how we serve. It's a miserable cycle, because listen, I mean, straight up, we have a lot of opportunities to serve and volunteer at Legacy Church. We don't have near enough to clean your soul. I don't have enough for that. I'm near enough to cleanse you. So here's the truth. And I don't know if you know this, and if you do know this, I don't know if you believe it. But when you sin and do that thing for the 388th time, I mean, you can't believe that you did it again. You made vows that you would never do that thing again. Do you realize that a split second of a split second right after that, you should and can turn to God, fall on your knees, and thank him. Thank him for forgiving even that sin. Even the one you just did. Even the one that is still right there. You're still sharing the air with it. Even if you've lost count over how many times you have broken that vow. Because it's Jesus' service to you that makes you clean, not your service to others that makes you clean. So if you find yourself kind of in this group of serving others to turn God's head in your direction, you're ultimately trusting your service to do what the cross has already done. The why matters. You might be serving with an anti-gospel motivation. 
an anti-gospel one. So yeah, your neighbor appreciates your health. No, it didn't clean you. You're 0% you're more lovable than you were before. Do you see how easily this can get slipped up? Our motivations? How it could turn into this guilt reliever or burden relifter or love manipulator? How we can actually serve others in order to serve ourselves? Do you see how easy you can do that? It's super easy. And listen, if this is you, I understand. If you struggle with this, I understand how right it feels. It feels logical, doesn't it? It's a logical transaction. I'm going to serve everybody else, and I'm going to serve until it hurts so that God is no longer angry with me, or God loves me, or likes me a little, a little bit more, or won't take away from me, or so that I could just show him that I'm really on his team. But it refutes the gospel. There is a better way. There's a better way. Now, there's a separate group of people, and maybe you're in here as well, and you're going to serve more from compassion alone, just naked emotion, just pure emotion. You see need, you just emotionally want to jump in and solve the problem. And listen, there's nothing wrong with emotions being in the equation for service. In fact, if you are emotive and your compassion just kind of swells within you when you see something that needs help, that's only in you because you were made in the image of God. That's in you because of God's design. It belongs there. Compassion can lead us to emotionally deposit ourselves. I mean, to see someone in a needy place and suffer with them and for them just means you were made in the image of a God who suffered with us and for us. It's pretty easy when you look at it that way, really. This is actually why those who are very far from God don't like the church, don't like Jesus, don't own a Bible, don't give a rip. That's why they're actually able to be moved to compassion. They're compassionate people in the world. Never step foot in a church, might not ever step foot in a church. How can they deposit such compassion? It's because they're made in the image of God. They're hardwired to do it. That's their source code, is to operate in that fashion. Now, compassion alone, compassion alone is not going to be enough. Compassion can lead us to emotionally deposit ourselves. Like when Jesus looked at the crowds and he had compassion on them because they are harassed and they were helpless, like a sheep without a shepherd. That can get us into a place where we emotionally deposit ourselves, but it is not strong enough to move us in the same direction with the same intensity forever. It can't do it. Detached, naked compassion has its limits. Compassion will have its limits. I mean, do you remember the first time you saw that commercial with the starving kids? I mean, like the very first time it affected you, or the cleft palates, or the animals, right, with the music in the background, and some celebrity appealing to your humanity, or maybe do you remember the news story where you realized for the first time what a refugee crisis looked like, how it might have affected you, or what happens to a woman after she's been sexually abused for the next 20 or 30 years? Do you remember the first feeling you had, that, that deep well of compassion, that swelling hurt, that desire to help, that desire to serve. I mean, friends, you realize it's three years next month that the shootings up in Lonsdale happened. I mean, man, that moved us. We gave a ton of money to that. We, we spent a couple sermons talking about that. That was a big deal. Interesting, isn't it? what compassion does over time. You mix in a little bit of time, a little bit of proximity, what it can do. I mean, do we still respond with the same sinking feeling? I mean, how do you? It's hard. It's hard to keep responding in the same way. Something affects us greatly, 
and then it starts to evaporate a little bit. What used to be a heavy conviction becomes a mere conviction, becomes a slight conviction, can become a past conviction, right? So naked compassion only connected to human emotion, it's not going to last forever. Time goes on. Intensity starts to drop. Proximity, and the world spins awfully fast. There's always a new tragedy, a new need for our compassion right around the corner. So if this is you, the person fueled by raw emotion and compassion, I totally understand the pain that you're in. I find a little bit of myself in this group as well. You see the disenfranchised, and there's really no way of going back to normal. (laughs) You can't go back to life as normal. You're kind of ruined for it. It's just new for you. But the sting does not last forever, right? So compassion detached from gospel won't last. But there is a better way. There is a better way. Before we get to the better way, we're going to look at the opposite of compassion. And that's those of us who struggle serving just out of duty and obligation, just because it's what you do. It's the right thing to do. I serve because it's the right thing to do. I fit in this category probably the most. You do it because it's got to be done. You do it now because it has to be done now. You do it well because it needs to be done well. You get it done because this is what people do, especially if you want to be right. And it's true, stuff gets done. It does. Stuff really gets done. Here's the thing. It does paint an odd picture of Jesus, of one who came to just out of sense of duty and obligation. It creates a distant person in our minds, not the Jesus that is really in the Bible. And I think this also produces a Christian who serves when their time slot is up on the calendar, but no more. Their commitment is burned inside of calendars and lists and commitments. So I'll serve five weeks, but I will not serve three. I will come from this time to this time, but I will not do more than that. This is going to be some of the same person. And when this person clocks out, they won't find themselves serving with patience or depth after that time because they've already met their commitment. Again, if it sounds like I'm being harsh, I'm in this group. That's why I know this person so well. When this person clocks out, they will not wonder how they could help somebody better or deeper or dream for that person or have hope for that person or intercede for that person or follow up on that person because there are limits and they've passed their commitment. The struggle with this kind of service is it's not melting anyone's heart. It doesn't melt the heart of the person serving. It definitely doesn't melt the heart of the person receiving this kind of service, right? So again, if this is you, I totally understand. I'm like you. To serve others because it's the right thing to do and it's got to get done. I'm with you. Compassion's not even needed. Just duty. Just duty. But there is a better way. There is a better way. John 13 helps us more properly orient what good service is supposed to look like. What it can look like. Let me say it that way. What it can look like. We see Jesus knowing that the Father has given all things into his hands, knowing that he has come from the Father, knowing that he's going back to the Father, he rises after they all eat, he has everybody's attention. Everybody's watching him. He lays aside his outer garment, and they still don't know what he's doing. Takes a towel, ties it around his waist. They're probably fearing what he's about to do. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash feet, wiping them with that very towel that was wrapped around him. In the same way, 
but to a greater cosmic degree, God is revealing himself in this. This part right here, this is God showing himself to you, sitting in that seat in 2018. This is God who in the flesh took off his royal robes of glory, stepped into our depraved culture today, serving us where we were most dirty, not our feet, our hearts. Our hearts. This is a picture of what God has done for mankind. We need more than our feet washed. Our souls are dirty. And he washes them, not just with water, but with the Holy Spirit. God becomes man, comes to you, and he wears a towel all the way to the cross. This is what's going on in this passage. He does this to remove the penalty for sin off of our lives, join us to a family that we really don't have a business being in. It gives us hope, gives us a future, gives us a people, gives us a reason to celebrate, gives us himself. It's awesome what he does. I mean, can we just for a moment just consider how nasty our feet can be today? I mean, come on, go to CVS or Walgreens. They have whole aisles just for foot care. Why? Because feet can be nasty, right? You got calluses and bunions and stink and Weird toenails looking more like corn chips than the toenails that they were when you were a kid, right? You've got weird funguses. You've got snapped ankles. You've got soaks. You've got pedicure stuff you could do at home. You've got all kinds of little equipment you could use to trim your toenails. I mean, it is like aisles of stuff to care for our feet. And we're in 2018. They didn't have that stuff back then. Can you just imagine what it looked like? I mean, take the grossness and multiply it by a billion. And I don't think we're coming very close to what is going on in this very moment, how gross it was. I guarantee those feet were gag-worthy. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes and imagine taking that first sandal off. I mean, it's not like I've got a fear of feet or anything, but I'd be like, whoa, here we go, here we go. I got 24 of these jokers to do right now. You know, I gotta gear up. (laughs) Duty and obligation would have been all over me in this moment. I'm gonna get through this. This is the right thing to do. Friends, there was scandal built into this moment. I mean, few acts more demeaning than washing another man's feet. Few acts, and yet Jesus wipes the muck and the mire, and I hope by now you see that it's more than just about feet. It's more. It's God showing us how he serves us. And how scandalous, how much more scandalous and humiliating he will find himself to do something, to clean something dirtier than those feet in our hearts with something much more powerful than just water. I mean, let's look at Mark 10. Flip over to Mark 10. We'll put it up on the screen. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to just start in verse 43. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we see Jesus sent as a missionary to serve, just through the normal, everyday stuff of life. And you and I, friends, we know from the book of John we were sent to do the exact same thing, just to serve. And the very normal, everyday stuff of life And you don't really have to work very hard to fill in the gaps of what I mean when I say serve because it's just all around us. It's obviously littered right in front of us, moments we can serve. And you know the ones when they say that they're going to cost you greatly. 
when it's going to inconvenience you. That's how you know you've locked on to one. And when we stoop and we humble and we inconvenience ourselves, we don't do so as a church that feels it's just the right thing to do or someone's got to do it so it's got to get done. We don't do it out of greed. We don't do it out of guilt. We don't do it out of raw emotion. We do it because we have nothing to protect here. And nothing we can gain on this spinning planet can outweigh the glory of having Christ himself. So we are free from being enslaved. We are free from being trapped. We are free from just giving in to these idols of pride and comfort because we are a people that walk with washed feet, clean souls. That's who we are. That means that we're free to step into other people with their dirt and their grime, especially when it feels menial, especially when it humbles us. In all honesty, this is not my knee-jerk reaction to God loving me in this way. My knee-jerk reaction is just like Peter's in this. Did you catch that when you were reading this passage? He has a certain way of handling Jesus right around this time of the foot washing. He says in the sixth verse, Lord, do you wash my feet? Question mark. That's him saying, Lord, you're not washing my feet. It looks like a question, not really a question. He was saying, this isn't going to happen. Are you kidding me? You're going to do this? It's not going to happen. And Jesus says, no, listen, what I'm doing right now, you don't get it. I get it that you don't get it. You will get it later on. It'll click later on. Let this happen. And Peter says, it's never going to happen. He says, listen, if you don't let this happen, this isn't a thing anymore. This is the only way we could be a thing. This is the only way you could be in this family is to receive this kind of love from God himself, to receive this kind of love. I mean, he's bristling. He hates being served without proving his worth. It's the same thing that I hate. I hate being served without proving my worth. So do you. Grace makes us uncomfortable. This whole idea of receiving favor totally despite us. It, it's, it's a horrible idea until it's a beautiful idea. I remember the first time, and I'd been a pastor for 12 years before grace clicked, right? Grace clicked for the first time, and I thought, whoa, I don't bring anything to the table besides my need. But God loves me totally despite me. At first, that made me angry, that he would rob me of my ability to prove my worth, that he would take from me my ability to repay him back, that he would remove the option from me. It's, it's offensive until it becomes fascinating, until it becomes beautiful. Friends, this is ultimately why I hate anonymous gifts. If you ever give me one, just know I'm going to hate every minute of it. Because, and this is why you hate anonymous gifts, too. Because in your heart of hearts, you want to thank that person, don't you? That's why we all hate it. No one gets an anonymous gift without thinking, gosh, I wish I could thank somebody for this because it's an awesome gift. It's an awesome gift. You know why I really want to do that? Because I feel like, it's, it's illogical, but I feel like if I could just make them feel warm and fuzzy and convey how much this meant to me, that it would be a repayment of sorts, like a semi-gift back for the gift that they gave me. That's what it feels like. That's why I hate anonymous gifts. I can't give payment for it. So what we see in Peter's response here and how we resist grace and service, that's in all of us. It's definitely in me. God, you don't serve me like that. God, you don't give me something for nothing. You can't do that. To hear the words of Jesus say, if you don't let me love you that way, there's no other way I know to love you right now but to give you this level of grace. 
So maybe you're like me, we're like Peter, we bristle against this kind of love. Hear it now, so will the people you try to serve in a Christ-shaped way. They will bristle against the same thing. They will struggle against the same thing. You think it will always be welcomed whenever you serve at a deep level at your cost for their benefit. You think it will always be embraced. It will not always be embraced. It'll get spit on a lot of times. But I will tell you, you will not be able to serve in a Holy Spirit-empowered, cross-shaped way unless you are able to receive the same kind of love from God himself. Unless you receive this love, how are you going to serve in this manner? And when you are fascinated with the gospel gift to you, you won't find yourself wanting to clock out. You won't say to yourself, I've met my limit, I'm not going any further. You'll find a way to be long-suffering. It'll humble you. You'll serve when it is costly. You will enjoy it. How about that? You will enjoy it. You will be as a content person, not looking for reciprocation. You see, why it matters why we serve. Not just that we serve. It matters why we serve. Look at Matthew 16, 24. It'll be up on the screen as well, unless you're fast. Matthew 16, 24, and Jesus is talking to his disciples again. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Cross-shaped service. It it goes pretty far. It has some mileage to it, this whole idea of picking up crosses. Your sacrificial service as you go forward from a Sunday like this and try to attempt what we're talking about, it's going to look ridiculous and unbalanced to a lot of people. Some of you have already heard some of these statements in your life of, don't you think you're giving too much? It just feels like you're doing too much for this family, for this ministry, for this church, for this community, for this people, for you. It feels like you're, it's, it's too much. You know, what, is, what does too much even look like? <laughs> I mean, if, if I were to ask that and someone were to say, well, Luke, too much looks like now it's affecting you and it's hurting you. And that feels more cross-shaped than anything. I think too much looks different from someone who is serving within limits to someone who is serving shaped like the cross. I think too much is going to look different. And, and I think too much grows as we grow as disciples. I think too much changes shape for us. As our eyes find more of our satisfaction in the one who washed our feet, I think too much changes as we reach and start to wash the feet of the people around us, even when they spit and throw rocks. You see, why matters. That's what I hope you hear. Why you serve matters. This is not a sermon to get you to serve more. I hope you didn't hear that. This is a sermon to get you to analyze and ask yourself the hard soul questions of why you serve at all or don't serve. What are you hoping to get? What are you hoping to not get? What are you hoping to receive? What are you hoping to get rid of? What are you hoping happens? What are you hoping doesn't happen when you serve? As we're honest with ourselves. You know, pretty soon we'll be worshiping and we will be taking communion, we'll be singing as a church a beautiful, combined, gathered people of God. Let me tell you, Jesus did not die on the cross to build a church with the towels on that would serve out of obligation, guilt, greed, duty. Did not do it. Did not do that. He allowed his body to be broken. He spilled out all of his blood to build a church that would put a towel on out of celebration for what happened for them. Not just in memoriam, but out of celebration. For how they themselves were served. 
because we are a people that walk with washed feet and washed souls. Now, we'll say again, just to repeat, this is work that the Holy Spirit does in us. So the, really, the only application I have for a people like you on a day like today is that you, you would just beg God to give you, give you this desire of service, to help you walk in such a way as this. Cry out for the gift of longevity in service, and humility in service, and compassion in service, and depth of service. Ask the Holy Spirit to find and help you see and remove all the stumbling blocks and the sins that so easily entangle us as we walk forward. You know, last week, like I said, we looked at your verbal communication, how you carry and publish tidings provocative as they are of good news to the people around you. But how is your nonverbal? How is your nonverbal? And as you go forward from today to serve, why? Why are you doing it? Are you doing it from God and through God and to God? Or are you doing it with a broken motivation? Because why matters and God is interested in that. Now some of you are like Peter and you've not received grace at all from God because you refuse to let him wash your heart without trying to repay or earn it. And that's really the only kind of transaction you've ever known. I do so you do. Instead of you've done for me so I'm glad to do, it's I do this so that you accept me. So you might say with your life, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. I've got a lot of cleaning up to do. I've got some service to accomplish. I want you to hear Jesus' words to Peter. They are Jesus' words to us. If I do not wash you, you have no share in me. If that is you, the gospel's perfect for a person like you. It's perfect for a person like you. Because there's a king, he's a savior, he is our hero, and he has a towel around his waist, and he desires to rescue you, even from your attempts to rescue yourself. Amen? Amen. Go ahead and stand with me. I'm going to pray. Pray us into the response part. So, you know, to be oversimplified, we, we break up our service into two main pieces. One is how the word addresses your heart and how you hear the taught word of God. And then the second half is where you respond to the Lord, okay? It's really, this is kind of a call to worship, but you have opportunities to worship, whether it is through song, we have communion in the back. If you are a Christian in this house, you don't even have to be a part of legacy, but if you know and love the Lord and you consider yourself a son or a daughter of the King, we encourage you to take communion. Listen, if you're not and you're just kind of here searching and asking questions, super glad you're here. Just ask you to take Jesus instead of communion. That's something that Jesus has set aside for his church, okay? But we have opportunities to pray. If you need to peel off with somebody and reconcile over something, we have opportunities for that here. We'll have opportunities later for you to high-five and hug each other's necks, to write checks. These are all things that you can do to respond to the Lord. All right. So we're just going to say, as people are milling around, taking communion and coming back to their chair during the worship, that you just focus on some of the things that we said. Why am I serving? Why am I serving? And what kind of church did Jesus bleed out to build? How does, how does he want me to enjoy serving other people? Is this something that I even enjoy when I serve? And if I don't enjoy it, why? What is the broken motivation in me that's keeping me from enjoying this thing? So let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for being so sweet and so kind. It is uncomfortable for me to read the passage of you washing feet, Lord. It's uncomfortable because there's no way 
I'm excited about you going from disciple to disciple and then coming to my feet and washing my feet. I would be lying if I said I wasn't doing the same thing Peter's doing. It just doesn't feel right that I would get that kind of love. I would, I would get that kind of service and care when I didn't do anything to get it. And, and it should be going the other way. should be doing that for your feet. And Lord, even more so, how hard it can feel just to know that you love us that way. It's not just feet you're cleaning. You're cleaning our souls. You wash us with the regeneration of your beautiful Holy Spirit. And then still, there's a piece of us that says, yeah, but I get to do stuff to prove that I'm worth it, right? I get to serve and do and volunteer to prove that I'm worth it, right? So Lord, as we, as we walk as missionaries, as we worship here as missionaries, as we leave and go out into the city as missionaries, we pray that we don't just speak the gospel, but we're able to demonstrate with our nonverbal skills what the gospel looks like. But not just doing it because we're supposed to do it, and not doing it because we even feel like doing it in that moment, but doing it because we have been served greatly ourselves, and we're just celebrating that and how we serve others. So we love you. We thank you, and we worship you in this moment. Amen. Amen.